Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. And in this special episode, we're joined by Team USA Olympians and Paralympians, and we're talking fan experience, athlete experience, data, and using your platform to drive change. Salesforce is a proud partner of Team USA, and we'll be hearing from four incredible athletes. We've got Apollo Ono, the most decorated Winter Olympian, author, and speaker. Mike Schultz, two-time U.S. Paralympic medalist and the founder of Biodapt, a performance prosthetics business. Jesse Diggins, Olympic gold medalist, U.S. cross-country skier and world champion. And Ilana Myers-Taylor, the three-time medalist, U.S. Olympic bobsledder and world champion. You know, we covered a lot of ground with these athletes. So to start, let's focus on how innovation drives performance. When I competed in my first games, data was there. We chose either to use it or we didn't. And as we began to grow in the sport, data became a superpower. That was Apollo Ono talking about his own journey with data and how it revolutionized the way the U.S. speed skating team approached the team pursuit event resulting in a new world record. Now, the wind tunnel experts and the data scientists that were analyzing the energy expenditure and the energy loss ratio said, have you ever thought about not changing the lead skater? Meaning, who is first, second, and third? You remain in that line the entire time. And it it went against all the, the psychological reasonings of what was possible. Now, what's really cool about this is they said to each other, well, even though this goes against the own reasoning of what we believe to be effective in the sport, let's try it. They've won so many races this year. They went from being somewhat not even close to the podium to dominating races and effectively transforming the way that the team pursuit is going to be conducted in the future. And this is because you use the data. The data did not lie. You know, and the data doesn't lie in bobsledding either. Here's Ilana Myers-Taylor talking about the impact data innovation has had in her sport. So I think the biggest thing is taking the data on looking at weather conditions and what equipment we use. So I'm here at a track in Winterberg, Germany. I raced here last year. What was the weather conditions like? Do I want to use the same equipment setup? But if it wasn't in the same weather, As last year, well, then maybe I need to go two years ago back, or maybe I need to go three years ago back. And because we have all that data, now I could really take a look at it and make wise decisions. And the reason it has such a big impact, because we're racing by hundreds of a second. And if you choose the wrong equipment, that is tenths of a second. And you're going to be just behind the starting block. You're going to be behind the eight ball even before you get off the starting block. So it's really important to have that data and to be able to use it in order to make the best decisions possible. And cross-country skier Jesse Diggins uses data to keep her mind and body connected during races to push to maximum performance. Obviously, the most important thing is correlating how my body feels with data, right? So that we learn how to listen to our body. And that really correlates um, in racing because in, in the middle of a race, you're not allowed to race with headphones. You can't have somebody yelling splits in your ear every single second. You do have to rely on that trust in your body and that knowledge of, I am reading this situation correctly. So by using heart rate data during training in the summer and tracking how I'm responding to training, I can also teach myself how to pace a really long race. So I know 
when I'm pushing my body right before I feel like I'm going to blow up and, and totally, you know, my legs will go stiff from lactic acid, I can pull back and just be on the right side of that pacing. And that's developed through a lot of training sessions where I'm tracking my heart rate and using a lactic acid monitoring um, tool with little finger pricks to tell me exactly, you know, how fast I'm clearing this out of my body. Next up, two-time U.S. Paralympic medalist Mike Schultz goes from the slopes to the design lab and talks about how he uses data at his company, Bioadapt, to make high-performance, lower-limb prosthetic components used for action sports. Probably the most common data acquisition components we use is video cameras, small video cameras, so we can record movements through different sports and get different angles so you can actually see what's happening with the components while I'm riding my motocross bike or, or snowboarding. And, you know, we've took it up a couple levels when we did a testing session with Fox uh, down in California, and we hooked up a whole bunch of data acquisition sensors like angle potentiometers so they could read angles and they could read speed of shaft movements and also uh, impacts like G-forces. And so we, we put all those into a a graph and we can figure out how to tune the shock to get the best performance out of you know this specific application i mean that was really high tech testing session we did which uh you know we we learned a ton about how fast or how slow our you know like the knee joint is moving in certain situations you know like going through a corner or landing off a big jump so yeah and applying that into figuring out okay if we make a change here we can you know, we can increase the resistance or vice versa. Switching gears, let's talk about fan engagement. COVID has really changed the way these athletes interact with fans at live sporting events. So let's listen to what Alana Myers-Taylor had to say about it. Now that the world has changed, you know, we haven't had fans. We had fans at one race in the past two years, and that's it. Um, and we will only have uh, national Chinese nationals at the Olympics. So it's a very different experience. So we are interacting much more with fans online, online platforms, yeah. whether it's social media or whether it's them reaching out on my uh, website or, or anything like that. Like it's com- turned into a completely virtual experience because we don't have those fans in person anymore. Right. And, you know, I imagine it's been like that competing during the pandemic with just not as many, as many fans. How, how has that changed the way it's felt to compete and be at those events? For me, it's definitely one of those kind of things where you have to harness your own energy. I usually mm-hmm. draw a lot of energy from the crowd, and now that's just not there. It's just my coaches screaming for us when we take off of the line. So um, now it's more so about harnessing that within myself and just really making sure that I'm ready to go, that I'm pumped up, and that I don't need that fan interaction. Like, I really want mm-hmm. it. I, I hope one of these days we'll get to that point where we can have live fans again and, and things like that and everybody can be safe um, because it is, it's so thrilling to be having people up there waving American flags and have people at the finish yeah. line waving American flags. And even if they're not American flags, other fans from other countries just cheering you on like that is it's electric and it just vibrates through your soul. So when you're not able to have that, it, it is a little sad and, and I miss it a lot. Hopefully, Alana and the other athletes won't have to wait too long to see their fans again. And although nothing can replace the experience of a live event, Apollo Ono is very optimistic about how in the not-too-distant future, fans will be able to engage with their audiences on a whole new level. 
mark my words, this is going to happen in real time. Mm -hmm. In the not too distant future, you will be able to experience front row Team USA basketball Olympic final foot on the wood, meaning you have Mm -hmm. courtside seats. So this is all going to be a component of leveraging the power of community to increase the engagement and visibility that occurs within these sporting experiences. And so I, along with my friends who live in maybe six other continents, can all be experiencing things in real time and engaging in a way that wasn't, you know, wasn't feasible before. But I think fundamentally, the, the only thing that I want to make sure that happens is that we're harnessing the power of sport for good. That's a really important part mm-hmm. here because all the data and the analytics and the commerce and the commercialization of the Olympics and sporting events, all that's great, right? But I also don't want to lose the essence of why we're doing it. I would love to have a front row seat to an Olympic event, even if it's virtual. But I want to build on what Apollo said about his desire to harness the power of sport for good. Because that's a sentiment that was echoed by all of the athletes we spoke with. For Jesse Diggins, that means talking about climate change as a board member of the nonprofit Protect Our Winters. She's had a front row seat to observing the devastating impacts of global warming. You know, I don't pretend to be a scientist. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I don't have all the policy answers. That's okay. I'm just doing my best. And there are people who do have the answers. There are people for whom that is their job. But my role with Protect Our Winners has always been just talking about what I've seen. So, you know, going to a pre-World Cup camp in November on the Arctic Circle and seeing flowers and grass and moss on the side of the melting man-made trail. That's not normal. Um, That's not something that we should be seeing. And then, you know, seeing um, mud and grass on the side of the race trail in Davos, Switzerland, a town whose economy is based on tourism and especially a lot of winter tourism as well. Um, they're, They're used to normal ski seasons and it's hard to see a ribbon of dirty man made snow with boot prints from people walking across it. That's really crazy. So, you know, I want my grandkids to be able to build a snow man it's which i do but it is you know this really affects a lot of people's jobs it affects their lives um it affects the the well, obviously the air we breathe we only get one planet right we have to do this right but in a very tangible way it does affect the lives of a lot of working people right now so i think that's one way to get across to people the importance of taking some action and of using their voice because you don't want to see towns that depend on winter tourism drying up or disappearing just because we weren't able to stop it in time. Ilana Myers-Taylor is using her voice to call attention to inequalities in her sport. Yeah, so I think around George Floyd and everything that had happened, um, I felt like it was necessary and it was time to finally give a voice to what goes on in everyday life. I felt like I needed to give a voice to it and I felt like I was in a position and the status to be able to do that. There's this big stereotype about athletes of color, particularly black athletes, not being able to drive sleds and, and you know not being good drivers and things like that. Well, since I started driving and I've had a quite a bit of success. And I don't know if it's just because I was driving, but there have been a lot more drivers of color 
come on board and, and start driving bobsleds, which is great to see. I'm all about it. And it's been really cool to see that evolution and to see people who look like me now take this mantle on and, and believe that they can do it and believe they can be very successful. And they have been very successful. And Mike Schultz is challenging stereotypes as well. Let's listen to how he adapted to life after his leg was amputated in 2008 at the height of his snowcross racing career. I didn't think about the word adapt so much until I became an amputee. And, you know, initially it was a physical thing. You're trying to physically adapt to my new life and how I was going to be mobile and how I was going to continue doing the activities that I love. But it's just as much as a mental thing as well, because, yeah, you know, my life changed at that moment in 2008. And, you know, I could have been like, that that's it. I'm no longer the person I was before physically and I can't do it. I can't do what I used to do. You know, I could have accepted that. I did accept it at a certain level, but I accepted the fact that I'm missing 25% of my left leg and that's it. And I looked at it as simple as that. And I need to figure out how I'm going to replace that 25% with a mechanical device. It was uh, seven months after my injury happened. I was competing in LA at the Summer X Games Adaptive Supercross on a leg I built in my garage. I'm like, that was a quick adaptation, I tell you that. <laughs> this type of resilience stood out with all the athletes. Here's Jessie Diggins talking about how she came back from an eating disorder that nearly took her life. You know, I'm going to be totally honest. I used to be pretty scared about talking about the really hard parts of my life. I thought people might judge me. Maybe I would become that eating disorder athlete and that was all people would think of when they thought about me. Um, and so I, it took me a while to build up that kind of courage. But after we won the medal in 2018 at the Olympics, I kind of looked around and was like, I have this huge platform now. What am I doing? It needs to matter. It really needs to matter. It needs to count. And I don't want to get to the end of my career and look back and realize that I didn't do anything important to me that made my heart feel full when I had the chance. And so I kind of was like, I have to talk about this. And I'm really glad I have because I think we need imperfect heroes. And here's Apollo Ono. I believe that we are going to go into an era where we truly care about the personality, the person, the platform, what is actually happening, what they have to say, how they got there, much more than the actual color of the medal. Now, again, we still want to support mental resilience and grit and all and that you can do hard stuff because that is a fundamental truth. We believe that. On the other side, I think what we and how we define strength is a really cool time. That's what's really cool about today's society is we can redefine what someone who is strong actually is. And it actually does encompass vulnerability. It encompasses empathy. It encompasses radical authenticity. And you can still be extremely strong and powerful and performant in the same time. And so to me, that's a much more holistic embodiment of being human. More holistic indeed. Well, we hope you enjoyed our conversations today with Apollo Ono, Jesse Diggins, Ilana Myers-Taylor, and Mike Schultz. Hey, be sure to tune in over the next few weeks to hear my full conversation with Paralympian Mike Schultz. And be sure to check out all of our Team USA coverage at salesforce.com slash Team USA. 
And thanks for listening today. If you like this episode of Blazing Trails, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios.